journey looking to heaven. And we talked about over the last few weeks that, you know, heaven is our hope. Go ahead and be, if we haven't started recording, let's get this on recording. But, you know, heaven is our hope for the believer. It should be what we are waiting for, what we're expecting. And we've talked about how that, that it's really gone away, that that hasn't been a priority for the church, that we, we just kind of get wrapped up into the day-to-day living, and, and we, we, uh, we don't have a good understanding of what heaven is. And so we find ourselves really just living day-to-day and, and keeping our eye on earth. Now, Mark Twain, who really was not a, a real spiritual guy himself, actually says, you can go to heaven if you want to. I'd rather stay here, is talking about Bermuda, because uh, he had a connection there in Bermuda. So, so he had a, you know, but there's so many of us like that. He had an improper view and understanding of what heaven is. For him to say, you can go to heaven if you want to, I'd rather stay in Bermuda. And of course, he might have just been tongue-in-cheek saying, well, this is how wonderful Bermuda is. But for the believer, for us, we need to have a good understanding, a healthy understanding of what heaven is so that we really, we want to go there, that God has prepared something. And that, that as we would share our faith with others, if, if there is no heaven, then what are we sharing? There's no hope. If this world is all there is, the Bible says if this world is all there is, if there is no resurrection from the dead, we are among all men most pitiable. Because our hope is not this place. Our hope is not for our best life now. Now, now somebody said that, that if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim for earth, you might miss them both. Right. And so that's what we don't want to do as believers. We don't want to just aim for this earth. We want to aim for heaven, understand eternal things, not just the temporal, because those things are what's going to carry us through day to day and get us to the next spot. Because as you've maybe finally realized this world, this earth, this life is tough. Amen. You know, that's one you can even say, oh, me, maybe. Oh, me. This world is difficult. Now, there are great, great times on this earth, but it's also difficult. And if this is all there is, wow. But there is something so much better for us all, but we have to get our eyes off of the earth. C.S. Lewis said, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our mind on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we don't recognize it. And so we want to learn to recognize that longing and yearning. You know, we were created in a perfect place in the Garden of Eden. There was no sin. We had complete fellowship with God. But when sin entered in, everything fell under the curse, and our lives were drastically changed. And from that moment on, there was something in all of us that longed to be back in the presence of God, back in paradise, in the way God originally intended it. And over this week and mostly next week, we're going to talk specifically about heaven and paradise and how, how really God's initial plan for us to be in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, is going to be restored when, when all things come new and there, he creates the new heaven and new earth. I believe the new earth is going to be that, that glimpse of Eden that we had in the very beginning and it's going to be restored back to what God had planned. And there's some a wonderful, amazing thing, excuse me, things that we can find as we search the scripture. 
And so that's where we're, we're heading. This week, we're, I, wanted to, I, I just thought, well, let's answer some questions as we go and lead up and see how far we get. We've talked over the last few weeks of what is heaven. And even the terminology that we use sometimes is the wrong terminology. Um, or, or maybe it's just incomplete because of our understanding of it. So when we talk about heaven, really what we're saying is not that it's a, a fixed, permanent place. Now, no, heaven is a place. But it's not, in using the term heaven, it's not a fixed, permanent place. I believe that heaven is the abode of God. It's his dwelling place. And so wherever God is dwelling is heaven. And the reason we have to differentiate using that term is because in the end, in Revelation chapter 21, it says that there's gonna, he's going to create a new heaven, the, the skies and the galaxies, the universe, and a new earth, and that the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven, and it will be on earth, and he will make his dwelling place with us. Now, the, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that is different for most of us. We think that we're going off to be in heaven forever. Well, that's not the case. The Bible is very clear that when we die, we do go off to heaven, again, meaning where, where God is. We go to be with God wherever he is at. And right now, it's, we're going to get into this a little bit in just a few minutes. It's in the intermediate place. So when we die from here, we go to be with God. But in the end of times, after, after the judgment, the, there's a new heaven and earth, and then heaven, what we know as heaven, comes down, and God makes his dwelling place here on this new earth. And so heaven is wherever God is. That's, that's the problem. I want to give some scriptures about that. Um, we know in, that Paul... We know it's Paul, but in, Paul was taken up. He says, I know a man who had a vision. He was taken to the third heaven. Well, the third heaven is, is simply the way that we would understand the celestial heaven, not, not the sky. The first heaven is just the sky, the atmosphere here. The second heaven is that which is out there where the stars and the planets are. That's the second heaven. The third heaven is simply the, that Paul went to be in heaven with God. And he saw inexpressible things, the Bible says, that he saw inexpressible things and that he was not able to tell us about them. What a bummer. You know, he, it's like, wait a second. And so, so we get some glimpses, though, of what heaven is from a couple of places. Throughout the scriptures, we see ideas and glimpses of what heaven is. One of the places is Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, that's a really confusing glimpse of heaven, but you can read that in your time this week as you're studying, following along. Ezekiel chapter 1, where, where he sees flashes and, and metals and a wheel within a wheel and, and four-faced four, four creatures and all these amazing things, which is a glimpse of heaven. We see glimpses of heaven in Isaiah chapters, really 60 through 66. There's talks about the new heaven and a new earth and some glimpses in Isaiah. But, but probably the, the strongest glimpses that we get is Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22, where, where Revelation 21 and 22 line up with Isaiah when, when it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And so we're, we get these pictures, and that's where we're going to be heading off to as we get a little bit deeper into this. So Paul, though, was taken up in a vision to the third heaven. And... Um, this is the heaven of heaven where God's dwell. It's his place. It's his home. It's his dwelling. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the, the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place. He said that God is, 
has a place where he lives. It's a real place. It's a dwelling place. And in Isaiah 63, 15, it says, Look down from heaven and see thy holy and glorious habitation. That tells us that the place is in heaven. Um, in Psalms, uh, Psalm chapter 33, 14, it says that God looks down from heaven. In verse 13, from his dwelling place, he looks out. So there's a place where God dwells. And it's what we, we call heaven. Now, God isn't contained by heaven. He doesn't have to stay there. He lives in us. He lives here. But, but his abode is heaven. And so where, when we die, we go to be with him. In the book of Genesis, uh, just some, some other notes that said this is, heaven is, is really synonymous with, with um, where God is. It says in Genesis that he is the God of heaven. He's also the God of earth, but he's the God of heaven. And it says that he calls out from heaven. Well, why would he call out from there? Because that's his home. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, it says that it says, look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place. Amen. So we know we see heaven. When we talk about heaven, it's where God dwells right now. It is in, in, in the heavens that we think of. And, and where is it? We always point up because there's really a couple of passages in the Bible that, that say it. And, and one is that when Paul was taken up into heaven. And, and so and then Jesus himself, he was taken up into heaven. So we, the only direction we know for heaven is up. The problem with that and the way my mind thinks is, well, which part of the earth are you standing on when you say up? Because if it's, it's up, if it's up from Australia, it's down from here. Yeah, and so, so heaven is a real place, and it's the dwelling place of God. Now, I'm not going to get into some, some, some deep things that I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'll throw them out to you to just help us to understand that there is so much more out there. Have you ever heard of people, not just Twilight Zone, but scientists talking about the other dimensions? I've, I heard recently that there maybe are up to eight dimensions. I, just, I think I just heard someone talk about string theory. String theory is another part of this um, physics to talk about the string theory. These are things I'm not even, I can't even begin to talk about other than I know that, that as scientists are studying, they're realizing that, that there are... There are cross dimensions and there's universes possibly within universes and they are beginning to... And these aren't Christians trying to make, make heaven be real. These are scientists realizing that there is there's absolute amazing unending possibilities that God already created. And so some of the theories on heaven is that it's, it's in a dimension right next to ours. And we just can't see it. Think about, think about Elijah in, 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 his, uh, in his servant. He says, God, open up the eyes of my servant. And he opened his eyes and all the horses and all the, ar- the armies of the Lord were there. Did they come down or were they there? And God gave him a glimpse through another dimension. I don't know. But, but they're even talking about wormholes. They're still looking for wormholes, you know, in the universe where you can go in and come out somewhere else. And, and, and scientists are coming up with these amazing theories because they, there's, what they are seeing is there's more, and we're just at the verge. And so God created all that. I'm not afraid of it. I just don't understand it. I'm not afraid of it because God created it all. So heaven is a, is a real place that we will go and be with God in his dwelling place. Um, when Jesus was taken into heaven, he told his disciples that he was going where? To the Father. 
who's going into heaven. I'm going to the Father. Heaven. So, so for, our, for our language and understanding, it's really good to understand that heaven is the dwelling place of God. If we understand that, it's a good place to, to go on this journey that heaven is not a fixed place. Heaven is where it is now. When we die, the Bible says that we will go and to be with, be with God where he's at. But Revelation 21, 21 says that heaven will come down and be with us and God will make his dwelling with us. So wherever God is, there is heaven. And that kind of makes sense to me. Where God dwells is heaven. Now, when, we, when we're going in this, um, in this time, we go, okay, well, can we even understand heaven? And I've talked about this, but I'm, I'm going slow over these few weeks and even saying some of the things I've said before because I want us to really get a grasp of, of the idea of heaven. And many people say, you know, we can't begin to imagine heaven. We don't understand heaven. We throw out the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And then we'll throw in that other verse that says, God, the secret things belong to God. And then we'll stop the conversation and say, we don't know anything about heaven. We're not supposed to know anything about heaven. We can't know anything about heaven. And it takes away everything that I believe God wants us to do is have a hope for heaven. And how can you hope in something that you can't think about? How can you hope in something you have no imagination to understand? And the problem with the 1 Corinthians 2 scripture is they stop when it says that uh, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. They stop there. But verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God wants us to have a glimpse of heaven and an understanding of heaven. And it's the home of God. And that that is where our hope is. And so that brings us to the next part. We says, well, can we, can we imagine heaven? And right there, I think we're going to have some other people that have an issue. Well, I don't think I'm supposed to imagine what heaven's about like. You know, that, that, might be, that might be what some people would say. They you know, well, you know, my imagination, well, I, I imagine it this way and that way. God created you. He created your mind. He created your intellect and he created your imagination. He then put scriptures in the Bible that say heaven is like a garden. Heaven is like a city. Heaven is like this. And then we say, but God doesn't want us to imagine what heaven is like. God is thinking this, but he didn't tell us not to imagine it. Oh, I hope they don't imagine it. I gave them an imagination, and I gave them some pictures of heaven. I told them to hope for it, but I hope their imagination doesn't start going off and thinking about it. I think we're supposed to imagine what heaven's like. But we don't just get to make it up. We have to use the word of God as the basis for all of our imagination and to make sure that what we're imagining lines up with the word of God. We read the scriptures and we begin to imagine. Here's what's great about heaven. If we're a little wrong, which we will be, that's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll get there one day and go, well, the, I was wrong, sure wrong about that. But here's another great, amazing thing. Whatever we imagine, heaven's going to be better. It's not going to be worse. Do you think you can imagine something better than what God's going to give you? I mean, we got to, wow. 
So our imagination is just, the, just kind of go, begins to, to run out there. And, and he gives us in the word of God as our basis. The basis has to be, the foundation has to be the Bible. It can't be just what people say. It can't be our own thoughts. But in the Bible, he, he compares, as I said, he compares heaven to a garden, a city, a kingdom. Why do he do this? Because they're familiar to us. He wanted us to give us a glimpse. And it's not just allegorical. It's not just an allegory. He, he gave us something that we could grasp a little bit so we could understand what heaven is a little bit like. Too many think, people think that, oh, you know, he's just giving us a story and there's really no correlation. That's like me. Hey, hey Robert, you know, a boat is just like a butterfly. Huh? I mean, that's crazy. A boat's just a hole in the water where you throw money. Robert knows that. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we would never, if we're trying to describe something to someone, we would never give them something that wasn't similar to what we're trying to describe. And so, so when we read the, the descriptions of heaven and eternity, we need to understand that there is a connection, that he is using things to help us understand what heaven is like that are similar but, of course, not exact. So, so he gives us the similarities, and we begin to use our imagination. And he gives us these glimpses, but they're not full descriptions. God created us to be that inquisitive, imaginative person, and he wants us to think about what he's created for us. Amen? Now, around, until around the 12th century, this, from, from my studies in, in this, is this is when it began to change for us. Up until around the 12th century, Christians actually believed that heaven was a place, that it wasn't just a spiritual idea that some of us kind of fall into. They talked about it like a real world. And then around the 12th century, some people came on the scene and began to teach more of the ethereal, ethereal thoughts. And, and it took heaven as being real up to this thing that we can't quite grasp. And would you, does that resonate with you that when you have thought about heaven so, so much, it's like, well, we just can't understand it and grasp it. It's just out there. Why would God do that to us? He wants us to have a hope that's secure on something that's coming. And that gives us our drive to live for him. We set our minds on things above, not on things below. And so and the 12th century began to change, and it went to almost an ethereal idea. Some people even say, well, it's just a spiritual place. Is heaven real? Is it real? Is it tangible? I believe it is. I believe the Bible teaches it is. It doesn't matter what I believe. It's what the Bible says. And I believe that it's a real place. And I believe that scriptures teach that heaven is real, and that when we're resurrected, we're going to have resurrected bodies. The Bible uses the term body. It doesn't use a floating spirit. It's a real place where we'll have a resurrected, glorious body. And we know of a few other bodies that are in heaven. Again, heaven being the place where God dwells. We're not positive, but I think Enoch. It didn't say that Enoch died. He says he walked with God and he was no more because God took him. If they would have found his body dead, they would have said he died. Everyone else died. And Enoch walked with God and he was no more. I believe Enoch was the first person raptured. And he was taken up to heaven. 
We know that Elijah went up in the chair, after, the, after the chair of fire. He went up to be with God. So he went up in his body. Why do we believe he went up in his body? Because Elisha looked for him in case he was somewhere else. Well, if his body would have been laying there, Elisha wouldn't have wasted the time. His spirit would have gone up. And there was his body. But he went and looked. Jesus, when he died, they put him in the tomb. And when he resurrected, his body resurrected. And it was a glorious body. This is a wonderful idea because I think this is the one glimpse that we understand of what our glorified bodies will be eventually. Jesus walked through walls, yet he ate food. So he wasn't a ghost, but he had properties available in his body that were supernatural. Is that what our bodies will be like? Possibly. He had a glorified body. And the Bible says that, that in the same way we'll be raised as, as Jesus was. So I believe we see these homes, that the, the, these, uh, these scriptures in the Bible that talk about a real place, about bodies that are going to be resurrected and glorified. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about being clothed with a heavenly dwelling. Amen. We are going to receive new bodies. Hallelujah. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, let's go there. First Corinthians chapter 15 is a great, great passage talking about the risen Christ and our glorious bodies. Starting around verse, let's see, I want to go before 35. Actually, we'll, go to, we'll just go to verse 35. We'll read for a few passages here. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. Mm. So we have this body that, we're gonna be, that will be raised up one day, incorruptible, without sin, glorified. These shells that we're living in are just a seed of what we're going to plant, what's going to be planted and what's going to come forth. But, but yet in every seed, there's the DNA that makes it similar. It's got the same DNA, DNA as a seed as it does when it grows into a plant. And so our bodies, these bodies will be planted in the dirt. And at the final resurrection, our bodies will raise up again, but they'll be glorified and incorruptible. That's pretty exciting. 
So is it a real place? I, we're going to have real bodies. Um, we see that Jesus, as we read the scripture, we see that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, some say, well, that's just, that's metaphorically, that means he's, he's, you know, second and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It says there that the angels are, are standing around the throne in, in, a, in a vision. In Revelation chapter 7, John saw the angels standing around the throne. Now, have we ever read in the Bible that says that the angels flew? We, we, we've heard that, where, where they, they would fly with their, they had their wings covering them and they could fly. So they understand that, that they could fly, but John saw them standing. He didn't say hovering. He didn't say flying. So heaven is a real place where you can stand, where you can sit. Heaven is real. We're not talking about the movie, and I still haven't seen the movie. I've heard it is excellent. I can't put a stamp of, of approval of whether I, I think it's, it's true. I mean, in order to say it wasn't true, you've got to tell, call this little kid a liar and that he, that he had a vision. I think God has given us glimpses into eternity to, to help us understand some amazing things about it. Mm. I'm deciding if I want to go to Romans chapter 8. If you're taking notes, you can at least write Romans chapter 8 down, 8 through 15. Um, I'm sorry, uh, 18 through 25, sorry, 18 through 25, but um, this is a great, a great passage, and yeah. Romans chapter 8, talking about the revealing of the sons of God, in verse 20 says, the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Listen to verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our spirit. Is that what it said? It's his body. They know the difference. Paul knows the difference between a spirit and a body. Our bodies get redeemed. They get glorified. And as you read this passage, this is going to be one of the passages that ties into the new earth. It talks about the creation is glorified. That creation becomes redeemed. That this earth becomes redeemed. And that the place that will dwell forever is the earth in a redeemed, glorified setting. Right there should give us a different thought like, wow, no more sitting on a, on a cloud playing a harp. Heaven. So, there's a, so, so, so it's a real place. When we die from here, and, and, and I'll go to, to that and do this. I was going to say this at the end, but I think it's better to do it right now. So, since the, since the fall of man, not from the beginning of time, but since the fall of man, people died. Where did they go? It's important to understand that before Christ, the righteous and the wicked who died went to Sheol. Place that you, we've read that in the Old Testament. They went to Sheol and it had two compartments. We read about this in Luke chapter 16. When in, in possibly the parable, there's, there's, a, there's a, a story that's considered a parable by some, but in any other parable... Jesus never gave names. He always talked about people. 
So this was not a parable. This was a story. And he says that a beggar named Lazarus died and he went to Sheol. And there was a chasm separating the wicked dead and the righteous dead. And where the righteous dead, that was called Abraham's bosom. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 16? And we see that the, the wicked ruler was, was asking, asking, can, can Lazarus go back to, the, to, to warn my brothers? And he says, no, he can't. He can't go back. He's here. He says, well, can he just dip his finger in water and, and touch my tongue? So we see a glimpse of what, what death was before the resurrection of Christ. Two compartments. The righteous dead in Abraham's bosom. Now, the, th- the phrase Abraham's bosom is a weird phrase, isn't it? I mean, you know, Abraham's bosom. But th- what, it, what it meant, the picture of Abraham's bosom was because, picturing the, picture the, the table, the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. They didn't have chairs. They laid down. The tables were very low. They would kind of lay on the floor in a position like this. And wherever their head was, they would be leaning against the person that they were close to and having communion conversation with. And their head would basically be resting on their bosom. And this was a sign that you were close with that person and you had relationship with him. And so, so it, it was a sign of, of, of fellowship, of community, of love, of care, of all of these things. So Abraham's bosom, that's where that phrase comes from, sitting next to Father Abraham with your head in his bosom. That's a good place. Abraham, for the Jews, that was Father Abraham. It was very important. So Abraham's bosom was where the righteous went when they died, and then the wicked went across the chasm that, that could not be crossed. And that was the, the first place that people died. Now, the, the scriptures read in, in Ephesians and in a few other places that when Jesus died, he descended into the earth and set the captives free. Remember that? Three days. He descended to the earth. So apparently, Sheol was in the center of the earth, according to the scriptures. And Jesus went down, and he took the righteous dead from Sheol, and he brought them with him, and he led, them, led the captives free. And so before Christ, they were in Sheol in two compartments. After Christ, the wicked righteous, or the, the wicked righteous, the wicked dead... We'll scratch that one from the recording, too. That's, that's what we are sometimes. Huh? We're wicked righteous. Like, wow, man, can I be both at the same time? They went to, to Hades. Now, we use a term, and, and, and again, for us, they're, they're just terms, but the, the word hell really should be reserved for the final, final, final resting place of the wicked dead, and that's the lake of fire. But... But according to the story in Luke chapter 16, Sheol wasn't very good itself. He was miserable. He didn't want his brothers to go there. He asked, just dip your finger, put it on my tongue. I need some relief. These are not places we want to go. These are not places you want anyone to go. So the wicked dead go to, go to Hades and the righteous dead go to paradise. Paradise is what, what, what we find in the New Testament is to the place that Jesus is now. Jesus on the cross, talking to the thief who, who repented and understood who Jesus was. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, some of us have heard of, of this thing. So, so the dead in Christ, those who die ahead of time, the, the righteous 
will go to be with God in heaven, in paradise, where God dwells now. And we'll be with him forever. And according to the scriptures, we're awake. Some people think that we're asleep. There's the whole doctrine called soul sleeping. Seventh-day Adventists believe that. The Jehovah's Witnesses, I believe, uh, believe in, in soul sleep. And a number of Christians have thrown this doctrine around that, there is a, that we're asleep. Well, I've got a few uh, issues with that. One is right there in Luke, is that Lazarus was fully awake and he was conscious. He didn't fall asleep. Because the, the Bible says that those who fall asleep, well, falling asleep isn't about falling asleep. It's what a dead person looks like. We go, we go into a funeral and you know, we go, wow, they look so peaceful. It looks like they're sleeping. So it was just a term used for dead people. There is no sleep. The body says to be apart from the body is to be with Christ. Okay? I, am I moving too fast? Or am I moving too slow? Okay. So to be apart from the body is to be with Christ. Paul says that he would rather be with Christ than to stay here. If there was a soul sleep, why would Paul rather go to sleep than be here where he's making a difference? In Revelation, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 15, uh, I'll go to Revelation in a moment. Luke chapter 15, it says that there's the, pa- the parable of those uh, of losing the coin and finding the coin and all those, right? And he says at the end, he switches to not the parable. He says, I tell you the truth, there is more joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. It didn't say there is more joy from the angels, joy by the angels, rejoicing by them. It says in their presence. You know who's rejoicing? Those who've died and gone before. People are rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. That's what I believe. It didn't say that the, the angels rejoice. I've always actually said that. The angels rejoice, but those scriptures say that there is rejoicing in their presence. Revelation chapter 6. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is a great picture of, of you know, is there soul sleep? And what, what do we do here in this intermediate state? And, and right now we're talking about the intermediate state, the place that we go before the resurrection, before we spend our, get to our forever home. We've, Shannon and I have been going through the adoption process for over a year, um, adopted going, actually to over two years now, um, adopting a baby. We've been approved for a little over a year. And, and the term that is used in the, in the, in the foster system is that, that they're always looking for a child, a foster child a, a, without a parent, looking for their forever home. It's their forever home. It's a term they use. It's really neat. And I thought, that's us. We're, we're, we're looking for our forever home. Our forever home will be heaven. It will be where we'll live with God forever and ever. But as we see in this intermediate state, the state before the resurrection, before the end of all times, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, gives us a glimpse. And if you re- you've read over it before, it gives us a glimpse of what happens for us in the intermediate state. And part of this point that I'm making is to help us understand there is no soul sleep. That when we die, we're, with, we're awake, we're conscious with Jesus. But let's read verse 9 real quick. It says, When he opened the fifth seal... 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. This is before the end of times. It's in the, it's in the tribulation time. He's looking and there's souls under the altar. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And we, and, we, and we read through there and we go, the revelation, I don't understand any of it. But this is a picture, that, this is a vision that John had of heaven. And under the soul, under the altar, the souls were sleeping. They cried out with a loud voice, how long until our vengeance? Well, we learn a number of things. There's a, there's a number of things we can learn. I'm just going to hit a couple real quick about that. One, they're awake. They're conscious. They're thinking. They understand. They understand time. How long? So they're waiting. They're waiting for something to transpire. So there's, there's a glimpse of, of what we will be when we die and we go to the intermediate state, heaven, to be with God before the final resurrection. These people, at least these, these are awake. They understand time. They have a question. So they're thinking. And who do they question? God. They have an audience with God already. So they're not just milling around in the pasture waiting for something. They can ask God questions, which also means they don't know everything. They don't know everything yet. Not all has been revealed. We've always said, oh, when we get to heaven, you'll know everything. And I don't know about you, but I go, that's kind of weird. Do I really want to know everything? They have a question of God. And they say, how long until you take vengeance on those that, that killed us? Wait a second. That means that they also know that that hasn't happened yet. They know, in part, what's happening on the earth in this intermediate state. Interesting, isn't it? We read the Bible and we fly right by. And we slow it down. We go, wait a second. They know time. They're expecting. They know some of the events, in part at least, of the earth. And they know that it's not over yet. They know that there's a, a, t a vengeance coming, but it hasn't happened. And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. They're resting. That's nice. They're not laboring. They're not toiling. They're, they're wondering. They're waiting, but they're in rest. Rest a little while longer. And by the way, we'll go back to the other point. Do they have bodies? Is it a real place? Put this robe on your celestial non-body thing. Rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Just a glimpse of the intermediate heaven. This is how we're going to be. Now, what's, what's under the throne? I don't know. That sounds kind of cramped. I've seen pictures. I've seen drawings. I think they're horrible drawings. It looks like this platform with arms sticking out. I mean, I've seen, have you seen that? I've, like... I don't think so. I, I, I just have a feeling that God did not say, 
you know, you're going to die, especially if you died like 2,000 years ago, and I'm going to stuff you underneath a little platform <laughs> so you can look out. How much longer? That doesn't sound like paradise. Almost paradise. No. So, so we, we, we get this, this glimpse. Now, in this intermediate state, now we, we need to go. I'm just going to preach for a couple more hours. Revelation. <laughs> Somebody order lunch. Revelation chapter 2. And, and the book of Revelation gives us so much in the end times. And, and you notice how we're not getting into the end times because that's a topic I just don't even want to. Oh, that is a wonderful. We're just talking about heaven, the truth about heaven, and a little bit of the timeline. So, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so the paradise of God, in the paradise, there is a tree of life. Go to me, chapter 22, same book, Revelation chapter 22. Keep going to Revelation 22, don't go back to Revelation chapter 2, but in Revelation chapter 2, it said that there was a tree where? In paradise. There's a tree of life in paradise. Revelation 22.2 says, who's got a Bible and likes to read loud? Anyone? Matthew, you got it? 22.2. Chapter 22, verse 2. Oh, I thought you had it. So yeah, he was already. Okay, go ahead. Somebody read it. Okay, now in verse 21, we find out that this is talking about the New Jerusalem. Okay, this is New Jerusalem. And in the New Jerusalem, there's a tree of life that bears its fruit. So paradise has a tree of life, and the tree of life is in the New Jerusalem. So is paradise the New Jerusalem? Well, we know in in Revelation 21 that God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and the new Jerusalem, which is God's dwelling place. Oh, wait, we use that word for heaven. God's dwelling place, heaven, is new Jerusalem. And God went away, and he's in paradise, which has a tree of life in it, and the new Jerusalem has a tree of life in it. And, oh, are we going to the new Jerusalem? I don't know, but the scriptures tend to lean that that is paradise. So we go up to paradise, possibly the new Jerusalem. We're with God. There's a tree of life in paradise. We're waiting until the end of times. And then at the last time, the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and be on earth. And we will be with God forever. And those who are still alive will be there. And we will live forever in paradise, in the new Jerusalem, on the new earth. Are you following a little bit? The new Jerusalem, the Bible gives us measurements for it. It's about 14,000, 15,000 miles wide. It's a square. 1,500, uh, sorry, 1,500, 1,500 miles. And it's also the same height. Now, that's really confusing. 
And it's really hard for us to grasp because that's higher than our atmosphere. But God is God, and he created our atmosphere so he can overcome that. We think of life in a, with gravity, <laughs> right? We think of life in gravity. How big an area is, it doesn't matter how tall it is, you can't get up there unless you have an elevator. But in the New Jerusalem, we don't know if we're even held by gravity. And it's 1,500 miles. This is a big place. This is the city of our God, the New Jerusalem. And you read about the New Jerusalem. And, and, and this is, when you read about the foundation stones made of each of the different, different uh, uh, gems and stones and the streets of gold is all the New Jerusalem. And so as I'm studying this out, I'm going, I believe that it's at least possible. We, we don't know for sure what, what paradise is, but it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good to me, the presence of God, but it's possible that, that paradise is the new Jerusalem. We just get to get a sneak peek looking at the new city, those of us who die, before everyone else gets to see it. And it comes down, and all the saints come with it. And it's huge. 1,500 miles. Take half of the United States. You ever, you ever drive through all these uninhabited areas? I mean, there's a lot of empty space in this world. That's, pl- that's plenty big, especially when it's 1,500 miles. And that's just the city. We don't, we don't even know about the new earth that's created yet. We're going to talk more about that next week because we won't order lunch in. But so we go to this intermediate state, and it's amazing. And if it's the be, it, 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 and, and G- remember, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that you'll be with me forever. Well, if, I mean, it's possible that we, we go over here to paradise and then we leave paradise and we come over here, or maybe we go to paradise, which is the new Jerusalem, and that'll always be part of our new home. It just moves its location. I guess it's like the biggest mobile home ever. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. This is scriptures, what they say, and, the, the, and it's, we're, we're just kind of going on a journey together. And so that's, that's the intermediate state. And now at the end of the intermediate state, we'll talk about next week. Because it's already 11. But, but before, in between, the intermediate state of when we die, when we go to, go to heaven, there's, there's a judgment. And this is going to be really important. And, you know, I wanna, let's talk just a, just a few minutes. We'll go over a few minutes, if that's okay. And even if it's not, it's tough. The, the Bible says that we don't... The Bible says that we go to be with... God forever in heaven, not because of what we do or we don't do. It's all based on our faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And we will be judged, though we will be judged for what we do and we don't do, but that judgment for Christians doesn't send us to hell or let us go to heaven. The judgment that believers go through is, is a judgment of, what's, of rewards, We don't get judged for that. We get judged, yeah. <laughs> Whether we get to go to, to, to paradise and then, and then to the new earth, which is heaven, is all based on whether we've accepted Christ. 
In the end, it's all about whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Whoever's name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life at the end of times. They, they start out in a bad place and they end in a worse place. This is not a good thing. There is no praying you out of purgatory. You start out in Hades and you end in hell. It is not a good, it's not a good trip. It's not a good destination. But the only reason that you end, end in hell is because your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only reason that you end in heaven with God forever is because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's not because you've done something right or you didn't do something wrong. It's because you accepted Christ and He wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And we don't know exactly when this first judgment happens, but, but in order to be in paradise, I believe that they, they, they know, I mean, obviously He knows, and He says, you're saved and you get to be in paradise. And so it's not a judgment. The judgment's going to happen, and we'll, we'll talk more about the judgment next week, but this first part is so important to even just close with it. We're talking about heaven and the intermediate state and all of these things, and it's not waiting for anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not about what you're doing or what you're not doing. It's based on faith. Ephesians 2. It's by faith, not by works. Faith in Jesus Christ. In this time of worship that we had at the beginning of service, it was just lifting God up and saying, I can do nothing. I need you, your grace. It was all through the worship time. That's how our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's by His grace because we're sinners. And it's so important to, to keep these things because a lot of... I talked about this last week. It's amazing. Only one half of 1% of people think that they're going to hell. You know, the, the number's a lot bigger than that. Because the Bible says that Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. It's narrow. And so statistically speaking, if it's wide and narrow, we know that, that it's a lot less are going to heaven and a lot more are going to hell. And the only way we get to go to heaven is because we have faith in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. This week, when you were trying as hard as you could to be good, well, there's, there's wonderful things to not want to run out into, into sin like the devil does. But doing good is not going to get you to heaven. It's faith in Jesus. Trusting Him to be your Savior. Because the longer you try to not sin, the more you realize that you can't not sin. And that we need a Savior. So this morning as we're on this journey, and it's a slow journey, we're walking towards understanding a little bit about the, the, the hereafter, the eternal life that, that waits not just believers, but everybody will live forever. We take this quick, this quick pause to say, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, if you've never put your faith completely into Him, the Bible is very clear that you're not going to paradise until you do. But the Bible also says it very simply and plainly that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not hard as far as difficult, but it's very hard as far as giving up your rights to your own life and surrendering your life to God. And it takes a big step to say, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to bow our heads. 
If you're in this room this morning, we want to make sure we give an opportunity to not just talk about to heaven, but to allow you to go to heaven. And it's not me who does it, it's God, it's Christ. But if this morning you've been listening and saying, well, heaven, it's different than I thought, and, and maybe I'm, I'm excited about maybe hearing more about it, but I don't know if I'm going there. Today's the day to find out. You can make it sure. If you confess with your mouth, the Bible says, and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. If we repent of your sins, and that means to turn from them, to agree with God about your state that says, I'm a sinner, I've done things my own way, and I don't deserve heaven, and you're right, then the Bible says that you will be saved. And there's not a magical prayer, there's not magic words, but there is an idea, an understanding that you have to come to. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can pray something like that in your heart to God. And it would be covering the things we just talked about. It would go something like this. Dear God, I've done things my own way my whole life. And I'm a sinner. I know that you are righteous. You are good. And that I cannot be in paradise with you unless I receive you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I commit my life to you. I believe that you are God, that you are my Savior. Make me a new creation. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to live with you in heaven. Help me each and every step of the way. Come into my life. In Jesus' name. For the rest of us, Lord, we pray. God, that you would help us to fix our eyes upon you. The author and finisher of our faith. Help us to set our hearts and our minds and our affections on the things above, on the heavenly realm, on the kingdom of God, not on this earth and not on this kingdom. Strengthen us in our, in our daily walk. Walk with us. Help us to know your voice. Help us to know you in a deeper way. God, we do look forward to being with you even as we're just beginning to understand it, that heaven's going to be awesome. God, walk with us this week, this day. I pray a blessing upon each and every one of us in this room of your spirit. We need you. We thank you for our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen.